Hello and welcome to Clearing the Lens with me, Melissa Sitole, a podcast to equip and help you in your ultimate calling, which is to glorify God. I'm a newlywed, a mom, a Bible-believing Christian, and a woman in corporate, and I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Today we're talking about how we read the Bible. I had planned to have an interview prepared for you today, which fell through, but I think this is a great time to talk about something that's been on my mind a lot lately, and that is the way in which we should handle Scripture when we read and interpret it. Is the Bible all about me? Am I David in the story of David? Is the story of Daniel actually about me? How should I approach the Bible as a new or even a mature believer? Today, I'm going to the purpose of the Word of God, what terms such as hermeneutics, exegesis, and eisegesis mean in terms of how we approach the Word of God, and I give some examples of how these play out and how we interpret the Word. All right, let's get started. So what's the purpose of the Word of God? In 2 Timothy 3 verse 15 to 17 we read, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the purpose of God's word is ultimately God's revelation of himself to us. We can read the word of God and know God, know what he hates, know what he loves. Every verse in scripture tells us something about him. Every passage testifies concerning Jesus Christ. It points us to the ultimate story of redemption through Christ because of our own human condition from conception, which is sinful and estranged from God. This is why we need a savior. This is why Jesus came. John 5 verse 39 to 40, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. So it's very important to understand that when we read the Bible, we're reading the actual word of God, not someone's sermon notes based on their own thought-up ideas of him. There is nothing we need to add to it or take away from it to make it more relevant or more complete. And so we need to handle it with such care and handle it correctly. I will speak to my own history in this area for a bit. I was very fortunate to grow up in a Christian home. We went to church every Sunday. I didn't really enjoy church so much, but I loved the programs. I loved the Holiday Bible Club, which happened once a year during the June-July holidays every year. I'll never forget the year it moved from my city to a city nearby. And so my friend and I spent the morning on the pavement at the corner of the street, trying to get hold of the church so someone could come and pick us up. So like I said, I loved the programs, but I wouldn't even really mind being late for church on a normal Sunday because I was quite bored in the big church if there wasn't Sunday school. Fortunately, God used these programs to teach me about stories in the Bible. And from these, I have a good knowledge of Bible stories. As I grew older, my Bible reading strategy was really based on where I was at the time in my personal life. So, for instance, I'd Google Bible verses on anxiety or Bible verses on fear or Bible verses on sexual temptation. I had very little contextual understanding. It's only in the last few years that I decided to read whole books of the Bible and not just passages here and there. And then I came across Bible commentaries which explained the text and that just opened up a whole nother world of understanding. 
But all theology has a way of sticking. And so to this day, I am still learning to make my most loved Bible stories not all about me, but about God and having application to myself be the last step in my learning of a text. And it's not easy. So what is biblical hermeneutics? The word hermeneutics comes from the ancient Greek language. Hermeneia means to interpret. So hermeneutic thinkers believe that understanding is the act of integrating particular things such as words, signs, and events into a meaningful whole. Biblical hermeneutics is the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the text of the Bible. In the history of biblical interpretation, there are four major types of hermeneutics which have emerged, and I won't go into all of them in detail. I'll just touch on what each of them mean here and there. There's the literal, there's the moral, there's the allegorical, where the characters and events represent moral, religious, or political qualities or ideas. And there's the anagogical. The text reveals a higher spiritual meaning behind the literal meaning of a text. Only the first, the literal, is widely accepted today amongst evangelical churches. And the literal type says that we understand the Bible in its normal or plain meaning, unless the passage is obviously intended to be symbolic, or figures of speech are employed. So we read the text, we read it, and we seek to understand the actual text we have just read. And I just want to linger or pause on this point. It says normal or plain meaning. When we look at our culture nowadays, our culture is constantly seeking excitement. We're constantly seeking entertainment. In fact, I was listening to a podcast not so long ago where the speaker spoke about how there was such an increased need in our church culture for pastors to sound clever um, or to be entertaining and how this often is at the expense of sound theology. And so the literal type saying that we understand the Bible in its normal or plain meaning can sometimes be very counter-cultural. Counter, cult, <laughs> okay. The principles of hermeneutics are the following. We define the terms or grammar or literal meaning. So when we're first trying to understand the Bible, firstly, we need to know the meaning of the words that the actual authors used. We should also, we should also understand if we're reading a historical story or is it poetry or a parable, because each of these would have their own rules of interpretation. We need to follow the rules of grammar and recognize the nuances of Hebrew and Greek. Then we need to know that the context or historical context matters. What is the story around the story in the Bible? We need to seek to understand the culture, the background, and the situation that made the writer write that particular story. And we can do this by reading preceding chapters or the entire chapter um, and draw from our knowledge from other parts of the Bible. A third principle of biblical hermeneutics is that scripture is always the best interpreter of scripture. For this reason, we always compare scripture with scripture when trying to determine the meaning of a passage. I want to say this again. A third principle is that scripture is always the best interpreter of scripture, not culture, not my bias, not my ideas, scripture. And so our approach of the Bible is very much like we would approach the studying of a subject as opposed to how we would approach a buffet or a menu. When we learn trigonometry and maths, for example, we allowed other maths principles to inform our approach of the subject at hand. We sought to solve what the formula was saying 
using the information which was provided to us in the scenario, when we ignored something, it led to an incomplete or incorrect answer. Likewise, we should approach the Bible with the same diligence. Now that we've discussed the principles used in interpreting biblical text, let's go into the interpretation of specific biblical texts. So what are the different types of approaches we see today in reading texts from the Bible? Well, we can approach scripture with two intentions or two approaches. We can derive meaning out of scripture or we can import meaning into scripture. Deriving meaning out of a text is called exegesis, which literally means to lead out of. And this is where we carefully and objectively analyze a text to understand its meaning. Importing meaning into a text, either before or after carefully studying it, is called eisegesis. Exegesis and eisegesis are antonyms, and there are two conflicting approaches in Bible study. So one means that the interpreter or the reader is led to his conclusions by following the text. The other is led to his conclusions through the very subjective, very non-analytical approach reading. And this is when we take our own ideas and experiences and insert them into the word of God, making it mean whatever we need it to mean in that moment. I really don't think this is something we do intentionally or with evil intent, but it is a natural result of how we're often taught the word of God. Very rarely do we hear preaching that is centered around a text, which explains its context, which explains the text's meaning based on what the author actually said. And then lastly, lastly, goes into application or relevance to me today. We generally hear preaching that's centered around a message or application the pastor wants us to walk away with that day. And the scriptures we read are for that message and are usually single verses or a few verses from various places in the Bible. What this can do for the new believer or the believer who is never taught they need to do their own deep dive is that it trains them to approach the Bible like I did for most of my life as described before. When we analyze scripture exegetically, we let the text itself reveal what the writer is revealing to the reader. By doing this, we don't read anything into scripture that wasn't there before. And we study the meaning of the passage that was intended for a specific audience. I said Jesus takes all our biases and plunks them right in there. And so we end up with people using the Bible to justify slavery and racism. How, Sway? Does scripture interpret scripture in that way? No, but exegesis is hard work. Some good examples of exegesis versus eisegesis, which I found online and which really came for me and my own theology are Philippians 4 verse 13, for instance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As relevantmagazine.com pointed out, we may try to read into the text that God will give us the strength to win that tennis match we have on Tuesday. We'll close a business deal. This and other verses are often quoted using this misinterpretation. In the original context of Philippians 4 verse 13, as mentioned in the article, Paul was on house arrest, ready to go on a trial that may end his life. But despite all these difficult circumstances, Paul showed how Christ gave him strength during a dire season. Let me say that again. Paul was on house arrest. When we're truly trying to understand what a verse means, we can't just strip away all the surrounding verses, remove it kicking and screaming from its original intent, and still expect to understand it. Despite the well-meaning use of the words, 
This text does not teach that a Christian is empowered to accomplish any task simply because they are saved. Paul is saying that he can persevere, he can share the gospel, and be content in any situation, not in his own, but through Christ who strengthens him. And even this should still encourage us as believers. Friends, context matters. What about Proverbs 29 verse 18? Where there is no vision, the people perish. And that's the King James Version. We use this verse often to speak to how we need a long-term plan for ourselves, our families, our businesses. Is that what this verse is saying? The rest of the verse says, But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The New King James Version says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraints. But happy is he who keeps the law. And so vision in this context is not referring to long-term planning, but to a miraculous prophetic revelation of the will of God. Some of us might say, potato, potato, my long-term vision would be from God, and so this is one of the same thing. But hold on. Endofthematter.com notes in their commentary on this passage that the vision in this verse refers to the divine communication as from a dream, a revelation, or prophecy. The same Hebrew word used in Proverbs 29 verse 18 is found in 1 Samuel 3 verse 1 in the context of the rarity of the word of the Lord and the infrequency of prophetic visions. Lack of vision, then, is the lack of God's revelatory word and so his revealed will. The word translated perish or cast off restraint in the original means to loosen and thus to expose or uncover. The same Hebrew word is used in Exodus 32 verse 25 during the golden calf incident. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become the laughing stock to their enemies. Without the word of God, people are loose. That is, they go their own way. They live without restraints, ultimately living in such a way that will lead to death because to ignore God's way is to ignore the way of life. It is good to have a vision in life. But this is not what the scripture is talking about. Instead, it is twisted to be a man-centered rather than a God-centered biblical interpretation of scripture. This type of cherry-picking verses can lead to translating the Bible into anything you want for your own benefit. Most people who use this verse to promote church or personal vision never teach the proper meaning as intended in the Bible. And so other examples of this method of eisegetical interpretation where we read meaning into the text, would be that I am David in the story of David, or I am Esther in the story of Esther. And surprisingly, I am never Samson in the story of Samson, though until his hair grows, or Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son, who David ultimately adopts into his household, and who is never physically healed. No. However, this is an amazing story, which once again points to the redemption of mankind through Christ. Ultimately, we read ourselves into the story and do not extract the true story's meaning. And so we learn to cherry-pick parts of scripture which we feel speak to us in our present situation, which appeal to our bias, and never truly learn the actual meaning of the actual text. We never understand how each story points to Jesus and his ultimate redemptive work. And we pass this way of reading the Bible down to the next generation. Friends, ultimately, we must look to Jesus. Every story, every poem or verse, it only has significance as we consider the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophesies the coming of the Messiah, 
and the New Testament shows us the prophecy and the law fulfilled in him. So why is all this important? Well, taking phrases and verses out of context can lead us to misunderstanding. I will, however, acknowledge that I have been convinced from my research that this is not always the case, if the true meaning of what the author intended is still maintained and kept. But if the intention is to distort or overlook the meaning of the passage, then no matter how many people jump up and down or cry from whatever we've said, we've mishandled scripture. We need to be careful. We cannot take our platforms lightly. The Bible says in James 3 verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Also, we as a church need to increase our appetite for things of God. I really believe that a lot of what we see in our churches today is a result of pastors feeling the need to constantly entertain and keep congregations engaged because we are not in the practice of studying our Bibles. We instead use the Word of God as the wind beneath our wings. If we're honest, if we were to arrive at church and all we sang was hymns, and we listen to our pastor read a 32-verse passage from Deuteronomy. And over the next few weeks, the text is taught and interpreted in its context and original meaning line by line. And only in the last 10 minutes is it applied to you. Let's be honest, we would likely find this as a huge culture shock and dare I say, boring. Biblical exegesis might not make you jump up and down in your chair or fall over, but it will leave you complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It will leave you in awe of God and all that he is. It will leave you overwhelmed that Jesus came to a sinful world and died for us. And it will leave you amazed at how this is prophesied throughout our scriptures. We don't get all this when we just approach the Bible for a verse blessing our next business deal. And so the practical ways we can approach reading the Bible are the following. Starting with prayer, we should ask God to strip us of any ideas or notions we may be tempted to read into the text. We should read the passage slowly and out loud if possible at least once. At this point, just focus on what the passage says. Finally, we should look at the surrounding context. Read the passage with a few verses prior to and after the passage or a few chapters prior or the entire chapter to get an idea of how the passage fits into the verses around it. I don't have any formal education in theology at this point in time and so I, like I'm sure most of you, don't just know where to find things like Greek or Hebrew words used in texts and their meanings and where else they're used for context, etc. But as I said before, Bible commentaries have been so helpful to me in understanding the Word of God. I personally use the Enduring Word commentary and sometimes the Blue Letter Bible one. I am still trying to find more, but recently I also came across a website of Charles Spurgeon commentaries, which I intend to go through. Charles Spurgeon is a name you will come across often in commentaries. He's a well-known, he was a well-known preacher of the word and also from the 1800s. I don't want anyone to walk away from today's podcast thinking that applying the Bible is not correct. We should apply the Bible in our everyday lives. We should be taught a passage's relevance to our own lives today. I'm just saying that that is secondary to what the text actually means. I purposefully don't speak to this today because we have absolutely no problem applying the Bible to ourselves. James 1 verse 23 to 24 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. So definitely apply. All I'm saying is the Bible is not about us. 
It is for us, for us to know God, for us to know our condition, for us to know about redemption through Jesus, to equip and encourage us so we can be presented as part of his spotless bride on that great day in God's presence. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you tune in next time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and follow this podcast or leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. This is me saying goodbye and reminding you of your ultimate calling in this moment, this day, and this week to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever.